0: It is a truth universally acknowledged that an author in possession of a good story must be in want of a reader. Another truth universally acknowledged is that precious few authors enjoy such a loyal readership as Jane Austen. Her followers are so devout that they refer to themselves as Janeites and Darcy Darcyholics. Here is Claire Belantes of the Jane Austen Society complaining about how the American release of the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice dared fiddle with the ending. Darcy and Elizabeth would never have kissed in the book and they didn't kiss in the book because it would have been certainly outside of the proper norms of the period. Um, Another thing that they're saying is that um, I think, and this is what my opinion is, is that the ending was just too schmaltzy for Jane Austen. Yes, Such is the pride of the Janeites that their prejudice will not tolerate films that dare to alter, in the slightest, those stories their idol wrote so beautifully over two centuries ago. Of course the irony is that today most people know about Jane Austen's novels only through the adaptations. In other words, without the films and television, Austen's books would not sell half as well. The unvarnished truth is that they need the adaptations to survive. And through adaptations, Austen can now be appreciated as the matriarch of the modern romantic comedy. Four Weddings and a Funeral, You've Got Mail, and most obvious of all, Bridget Jones's Diary. So when it comes to adaptations, there are two schools of thought. The first, which I liken to having my teeth power-drilled without Novocaine, is the view that insists a film should slavishly adhere to the literary aspect of the story. The second, which I enjoy as much as chilled champagne, is one that unceremoniously ditches the literary aspect and makes it a cinematic experience. Emma Thompson deservedly won an Oscar for doing precisely that in her screenplay adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. Always resignation and acceptance. Always prudence and honour and duty. Eleanor, where is your heart? What do you know of my heart? What do you know of anything but your own suffering? For weeks, Marianne, I've had this pressing on me, without being at liberty to speak of it to a single creature. It was forced on me by the very person whose prior claims ruined all my hope. I have endured her exaltation again and again, whilst knowing myself to be divided from Edward forever. Believe me, Marianne, had I not been bound to silence, I could have produced proof enough of a broken heart, even for you. For me, that's one of the things that makes any adaptation of a Jane Austen novel such a tough proposition. Take her characters, for example. She rarely, if ever, describes how they look. In Pride and Prejudice, the heroine, Elizabeth Bennet, has her appearance limited to this. Dark eyes. And that's it. Austen did not draw faces. She rendered psychologies, so delicately shading her characters that she undoubtedly was an expert in mapping how people think. She put you inside the heads of the characters. In other words, her stories are about interiority. But cinema is not about interiority. You can't film the interior of anything because the camera is always looking at something. A garden, a house, a teapot, someone's face, you are always on the outside. Here is Amy Heckerling's brilliant adaptation of Emma, which is anything but clueless. Ladies, we have a new student with us. This is Ty Frazier. Ty, you don't have time to change, but you could hit a few balls in those clothes. She could be a farmer in those clothes. (laughs) Dee, my mission is clear. Would you look at that girl? She is so adorably clueless. We've got to adopt her. She, she is toe up. Our stock would plummet. Dee, don't you want to use your popularity for a good cause? No. What cinema has to do is present action, but this is difficult because Austen's novels are not about action. They are about emotion. And while novels are conceptual, films are perceptual. When reading, you conceive of the idea, while in cinema, you perceive the emotion. The thing you most remember about an Austen novel is the manner in which she described everyone's thoughts and feelings, and also the wonderfully intelligent dialogue she put in the mouths of her characters. Here is the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, in which screenwriter Deborah Mogach condensed a crucial exchange between Elizabeth Bennet and Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Your younger sisters, are they out in society? Yes, ma'am, all. Or, what well, all five out at once. Oh, that's very odd. And you only the second. The younger ones are out before the elders are married. Your youngest sisters must be very young. Yes, my youngest is not sixteen. But I think it would be very hard on younger sisters not to have their share of amusement because the elder is still unmarried. It would hardly encourage sisterly affection. Upon my word, you give your opinion very decidedly for so young a person. Pray, what is your age? With three younger sisters grown up, your ladyship can hardly expect me to own to it. But if cinema were only witty dialogue, you'd be better off adapting Austen's novels for the radio. You'd hardly miss a thing. Film used to be called motion pictures, so permit me to be clever a moment and say film is emotion pictures. So it is never enough to verbalise the emotion. In cinema, you need to visualise it, or to put it another way, find a visual correlative for the emotion. What I mean by that is to take an object or a location and use it as a means by which we can see the emotion from the outside. What makes this hard is that Austen barely ever described her scenes in visual terms. All of this might sound very strange, considering adaptations of her books always enjoy nice scenery, pretty women in pretty frocks, dashy men giving knowing looks, horse-drawn carriages, large drawing rooms in big houses that play host to splendid dinners and breathtaking evening balls. But while those things happen in Austen's novels, she never bothers to visually describe any of the events. Why? Because she took it as a given that her readers would know exactly the social occasions she was describing. So this is your opinion of me. Thank you for explaining so fully. Perhaps these offences might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by my honesty and admitting scruples about our relationship. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your circumstances? And those are the words of a gentleman from the first moment I met you, your arrogance and conceit, your selfish disdain for the feelings of others, made me realise that you were the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. No. The Austen adaptation works best when they take the essence of her scenes and condense them, alter them, move them, adjust them so that the location itself, the weather, the event, serves as the underlying metaphor. Consider the ending to the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. It doesn't happen like this in the book, but the climax takes place at dawn. Elizabeth is lost in her thoughts in the early hours, wandering about outside the house. And there's a light mist lingering across the landscape. And through that landscape comes Mr. Darcy. It is a brilliant shot, simplicity and complexity in itself. The camera doesn't move, Darcy does. He is walking towards us. The shot lasts about 45 seconds, and closer and closer comes Darcy, towards Elizabeth, and the camera just holds and watches him. He starts in the silhouette, and then as he comes closer, the light changes ever so subtly, and now he see him. His coat is open, and so is his shirt, and he's coming closer and closer, and... If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes have not changed. But one word from you will silence me forever. If, however, your feelings have changed... I would have to tell you, you have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, and love, and love you. I never wish to be parted from you from this day on. As they finally express their love for one another, the camera tracks around so that between the two of them, we see the rising sun bursting through. Like all romantic scenes, it is incredibly contrived. But if that's all you're thinking, you're missing the entire point of metaphor. I know it sounds obvious when I say it, but for Elizabeth, that is not just the murky light of the early morning. It is her uncertainty. And is that just the dawn? No, that is the emergence of a new life. Of course it is ludicrous that Darcy would walk through the damp and foggy night to declare his love. Would he risk his health? Well, yes, metaphorically he is risking his health because he's taking a risk in telling her he loves her. It is his journey, the greatest transformation he has yet undergone. So, of course, the scene was markedly different from what Austen wrote, but that is the way it should be. Her story has been told in a way that works as a piece of cinema, and the essence of the story remains intact. And so it is a truth that should be finally acknowledged that a Jane Austen novel is always in want of a good fiddling.